Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the paladin of book marketing, Thomas Umstead Jr., and today we are going to talk about a topic that often makes the difference between a book that is easy to find and sells a lot of copies and a book that no one can find and dies a sad, cruel death of obscurity. So sometimes in publishing, it's what you don't know that gets you into trouble. But today we're going to talk about a topic that many authors don't know that they don't know. So uh, that topic is metadata. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we're going to nerd out about metadata and boldly go where a few podcasters have gone before. And to help us today is a true metadata nerd. He's the director of sales and education at Firebrand Technologies, and he's helped publishers do metadata well and do technology well since shortly after they were carving their metadata in stone tablets. Joshua Talent, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Thomas. So now when I said metadata, some of our listeners, their eyes immediately started to water. So let's get this out of the way right away. Pretend I was 10 years old. What is metadata? So metadata is just descriptive information about something. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at a, uh, a cup, a descriptor of that cup might be it's ceramic, it's blue, it's, you know, got greatest dad on, written on the side. Those are all metadata about that cup. When we're talking about books, metadata is information about the book. It's the title, it's the author, it's the keywords, it's the price, it's all of the, the details about your book. And they're probably going to sleep right now listening to me talk about that, too. But that's really important. And if you don't pay attention to all of that information about your book, it's either left blank, which is bad, or it's wrong, which is bad. So, I mean, that's part of the reason why metadata is important. Why else is metadata important? Well, the biggest thing is because of sales. It is a direct relationship uh, between metadata and sales. What what you put in your data will make a difference in how visible your book is, as you mentioned earlier. It'll make a difference on how people think about your book, whether they feel like your book is professional or whether they think that it's not. There's a lot of little things that, you know, kind of clues that people, the consumers have about the quality of a book based on what they're seeing about that book, whether it's on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble or anywhere else. And so you you have to have that connection uh, between, you have to think about that connection between your book sales and your metadata. In addition, it's really just about, uh, again, it's about quality. Just like everything else as an author or an independent publisher, your your goal is to create the best quality possible to compete with those bigger voices that have more money and have more power. So you have to have your quality on par with or in, you know, better than the quality of those other competitors. And that's, uh, that's where metadata can help or not. When I was a child, I remember my mom taking me to the library for my first ever uh, book report or essay. I, I remember, I still remember what it was about. It was about Jupiter. <laughs> it's about the planet Jupiter. And we go to the library and they had these card catalogs. And oh, wow. <laughs> we pulled out a drawer and they may have had computers, but I think my mom made me use that card catalog. There was a time in the 90s when the computers and the card catalogs coexisted yep. in the libraries. And so each book in the library was represented by a physical 
card, a piece of paper that had metadata on it. Basically, everything that was written on that card was metadata. And, you know, the title of the book, the topic of the book, where in the library to go and find the book. And what's interesting is that every book or every card in that card catalog was treated equally. Right. There was no like gold shining traditionally published card. And it's like, oh, this one's all ragtag. It's an indie published card. It's like, oh, this one's by a prestigious publisher and this one's by a small publisher. None of that it was a perfectly egalitarian space of, you know, not being able to find the card that you were looking at. And I remember very early convincing my mom to let me use the computer because I hated those index cards. But it's a good metaphor for how metadata still works, because while that information that was stored on that card in the library isn't stored on a paper card anymore. It's now stored in a database. And in some ways, that makes it more important because you can now search that database very quickly and easily. So from the perspective of you know who uses metadata, right? So the publisher puts the metadata, attaches it to the book. Who then uses the metadata on the other side? So it depends a lot on how the publisher is sending it out. Uh, there are different ways to send out your data to different retailers, but a lot of uh, a lot of authors and independent publishers are just doing it manually. You go into Amazon, uh, you know, the back end of Amazon, whether that's Advantage or KDP or whatever it is, and you fill out a form. And that form that you fill out, the more data and the better the data is that you fill out in that form, the better it's going to show up on the Amazon store. Now, the same thing goes for the other retailers as well. The more data you give them, the better the data is, then the better it'll look. There are obviously some limitations to that. Amazon and other retailers will sometimes not use everything that you give them. Um, but it is, in the end, it's the end consumer who benefits from that data. So the more you can give and the better it can be, uh, the better off you'll be. Yeah, and it's not just uh, bookstores. It's also libraries will use that metadata to help your book be easily found. The more often your book is checked out at the library, potentially the more uh, copies will be ordered. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about how to control it. So I, hopefully everyone is like, okay, I realize this is nerdy, but I also realize I need to learn it. So it's like eating your vegetables as an author. It's good for you. Metadata is good for you. So let's talk about how to control uh, metadata. I, with my book, I went through ISBN.org and I attached the metadata to the ISBN number using Boker's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing Bowker. that, Bowker's system. And Bowker then talked to all of the various stores. And that way, if I wanted to update the metadata, I would just update it in that one place. Is that what you recommend or do you use different systems? Uh, I do recommend actually going to the retailers directly where you can. Uh, if they allow you as the publisher, the author, to engage that uh, data yourself, then definitely go in and, and do that yourself. It depends a lot on the relationship you have. Bowker is great for getting data out, but Bowker also doesn't send data to everybody because not everybody wants Bowker's data. So you definitely want to make sure that the information that's available is available in the stores where you're selling the book. If you're selling it through Amazon, then you should have an Amazon account where you're selling your book and you should go and do that. Maybe it's KDP or, or whatever else, but fill that out there and manage it in that location. My normal recommendation is, though, as a publisher or an author, you should have a single source of that data locally, somewhere that you keep it. It can be a Word document, an Excel file. If you have a lot of books, then you want a database of some kind. But you want to have a single master source of that data that then when you go to those different places like Bowker and Amazon or whatever, that you're actually copying from a single place and it's going to be consistent regardless of where you're putting it out there. You're not just typing it in new for every single place that you go. And, and trying to remember... Because uh, one of the mistakes, and I see indie authors make this, and some of the small publishers too, they don't have that single source of truth. And so they're just going from memory 
and sure they might get the title the same on the different sites but as they get deeper into the data and they're just going from memory things tend to mismatch which can create confusion so if i found the book doing a certain kind of search and i tell my friend oh search for such and such and you'll find this book and they're going to a different store than i did that has different data they may not find that book or worse they may find a similar book right because there may be other books with your title <laughs> and uh, people can get uh, confused easily so let's talk a little bit about keywords because that's a topic we've been talking a lot about on the show can books have meta keywords yeah keywords can definitely be assigned to a title that where they're used is going to be very limited right now it's really just amazon and apple that actually use keywords that you provide to them but there's some really key points about this especially i mean I, most authors are really concerned about amazon because they are the kind of the three thousand pound gorilla in the industry when it comes to keywords Think about how how search works. If you go to Amazon and you search for a product, I'm going to search for that cup that I mentioned earlier. If I just go put in cup in the Amazon search bar, that's going to give me millions of results, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of results. It's not going to be a very helpful search. I want to search for that using more keywords. It's called a, a, a long tail query. So I'll put in uh, mug, coffee mug, blue coffee mug, best dad right? Or something like that. So I might have a lot of words. The more words I add, the more precise the search results will be. That's where keywords come into play. The more keywords you can add to your keywords on the uh, Amazon page and in, in your, you know, your setup and your metadata, the better the search results are going to be. So Amazon only uses a couple of fields that you provide to them as the basis for their search algorithms. The search algorithm will use the title, the author, the uh, publisher name and the keywords and the bisect subject category or the subject category you put the book in. So a key point here is it doesn't use the book description. Well, actually, there's there's differing opinions on this. I've had uh... different people on <laughs> and there's been different tests. So according to Amazon, they do. So if you look at Amazon talking about their own search engine, they do, but they use machine learning so that like strange words, like if you put in a word that's unique to your book description and you're using that to test to see if it's indexing the book description, it's not going to index that strange word. It's using words that are will come up in a cloud of probability. Right. So it's, but it's not using every word in your book description. They may be using machine learning to pull out specific keywords and add them to your keywords behind the scenes, but they're not using the book description. Like if you go now and you, you know, pull up a, a Harry Potter title and you copy some text directly out of the book description, if you run that specific text in the search page, it's not going to bring back a list of results that includes Harry Potter. So it's just it, like there are differences, yeah, in how you can do searches and stuff. But when you're thinking about long tail queries and you're thinking about how people find products on Amazon, the vast majority of people find products on Amazon by search. And your book description, you know, relying on Amazon's algorithms to go through and do some machine learning and pull out keywords is not as effective as using the keywords field itself to actually give keywords that are beneficial for search. Absolutely, because that is like the one cool thing about Amazon is that it allows you to say in a specific field what you want the most important keywords to be. Which Google does not do. I'll say for optimizing websites, it's way more complicated. Uh, so you authors don't know how good you have it. Us in the web world, <laughs> we suffer. We toil. It's terrible. So, but I do want to talk about uh, eBooks and print books. Do they have different metadata? Should you make the metadata different? And you know, does Amazon have any custom fields that are unique to Amazon? 
There's nothing that I know of that's custom for an ebook specifically right now. There are some metadata pieces that publishers can use, uh, can kind of start tracking right now about their ebooks, and eventually those will be helpful in the marketplace. Uh, things like accessibility. Your ebook should be an accessible ebook, meaning that it can be read by someone who has uh, vision impairments or is blind. And there are issues with metadata that have to do, you know, there's information about books that you want to put in there to describe what kind of accessibility features your book has. Those things are not currently accepted by retailers, but I would recommend if you have that data, you know, collect it locally so you have it. Uh, as far as other details, the question is always asked. I think you you kind of alluded to it. Do I make a bit different book description for my ebook than I have for my print book? My normal recommendation is no, unless you have something special in the ebook. If your ebook has additional photos that are not available in the print book, or it has videos, or it has some other kind of multimedia, whatever, that kind of stuff, you definitely want to mention that in your book description for the ebook. Otherwise, you want people to just see this is the ebook version of the print book. It's the same book, it's just a format difference by the one that makes the most sense for you as a consumer. Yeah. So, what mistakes do authors make when they're setting up their metadata? Uh, the biggest thing is not doing enough, yeah, not giving enough information. If you're only doing the bare minimum, then you're not doing enough. Fill out everything. Give give as much data as you possibly can, uh, because more information is better for consumers. It's better for the decision-making process. Uh, if you think about how you go to a bookstore and buy a book or how you go to Amazon and buy a book, um, the more information you see, the better feel you're going to get about that book and the more you know, the more likely you are to make a decision to buy it. The other thing is, like you said before, making bad decisions about how you put the data in can affect things like spelling of words and you know word choice and these other things. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of books on Amazon where how in the world did that grammatical error get put into a book description? It shouldn't be there, right? So take the time to set up that information for, at the beginning and, and be prepared for that. I think those are the two major things that people uh, ignore or forget about. Yeah, and that's actually a real pro tip because you're talking about have a record of your metadata on your own computer, right? So you go into Amazon or you go into ISPN.org, you copy all of the fields and you paste it into a Word document on your computer. And then you, you type in the answers to each one of, you know, who's the narrator, who's the illustrator, who's, you know, all of the, depending on your book, obviously, you fill in as much as you can, and then you send it to an editor. I think a lot of people forget to get a second set of eyes on this because it's really, really difficult to proofread metadata once you're sending it out, right? Because maybe Amazon detects that a word is misspelled, right? You mis you misspelled fantasy in the category, so it fixes it. And so it looks correct on Amazon, but it doesn't look correct on Barnes & Noble because maybe they don't do that. And now you have people telling you, hey, there's a typo in your book. And you're like, where? And you're looking, you can't find it. You can save yourself all that hassle by just sending this one or two page document that you've made to a publisher. In fact, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a template, unless you have one. I create a template that listeners can download uh, where they can fill in all of the metadata. It's got all the questions for a standard paperback Amazon book. And then once they fill it out, they can send it to an editor. And then it's just a matter of copying and pasting from this template into Amazon, pasting it into ISBN.org. And now you're guaranteed to have no typos. Because as somebody who is I would like to think of myself as the king of typos. I have a whole kingdom of typos that I have created. Um, I have learned that I always have to get a second set of eyes, often a third set of eyes. And if any of you have been reading my show notes for any amount of time, you know how needed that is. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I am all about getting uh, some, some protection here. 
So now we've been talking a lot about publishers. We're talking about indie authors who are able to control their metadata themselves. But we also have a lot of listeners who are traditional authors. And for them, it's kind of hidden away. They don't control their metadata. So what advice do you have for a traditionally published author? So obviously, first and foremost, be in contact with your publisher. Your publisher is in control of that data. So if you see a problem, reach out to your, your publisher and say, hey, I'm seeing a problem with the metadata on the site. A lot of publishers don't watch the metadata that's happening themselves. Uh, they should be. There are a lot of tools out there that, that can help you watch the metadata um, on different websites. But you know, they may not see the same things that you're seeing. So it's good to reach out and say, hey, this is something I'm seeing, a book description's wrong, or my author bio needs to be updated or something like that. There's also the fact that you should be taking advantage of whatever tools you have available to you within those sites. So Amazon Author Central, for example, that's something you can control. And that will directly affect the quality of the data on the books page as well. So go in there and claim your Author Central page and manage it well and, and use that for marketing to people who buy your books because there's a follow option in that Author Central page that you can control. And you can say, if people follow me and I can, I'll put out regular posts about what I'm writing next or what's going on with my writing this year or whatever else. And there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. So just be more involved in that process and be careful to engage your publisher when it comes to managing the data officially. I will say, having been a literary agent working with traditional publishers, uh, metadata fixes are one of the things that they are very responsive to. And it's almost a point of pride that there shouldn't be any mistakes with metadata for publishers because they hire companies like Firebrand Technologies that help them you know, do it and manage it. Because when you have a dozen books or 50 books managing metadata, you, know, you can do it with spreadsheets and documents on your computer. But when you have 500 books or 5,000 books, it gets exponentially more complicated. And it's really embarrassing for a publisher to have that kind of mistake. And so if you point it out, you don't have to be mean about it. You just have to mention it. They'll be like, oh, so sorry. We will get that fixed right away. So like an easy thing to make a mistake is somebody wrote you a forward and their name isn't listed as one of the authors or there's like a, a field for a forward author. And if you have that person's name spelled correctly and connected correctly, your book potentially, depending on the retailer, your book is listed as one of the books they've written because technically they wrote the forward for it. And so suddenly you're on pages promoting your book that you'd never be on before. But if they left it out or they misspelled the person's name, suddenly you're not on that page. Uh, and that's something that they'll, they'll be very eager to fix. So I will say, be nice about it. If they don't say yes the first time, or if they give you a hard time, then you call in your agent with the, the, the big stick, <laughs> wave it around <laughs> and make threats. But um, the, the thing about metadata, and I really want to underline this, a lot of what we talk about marketing, whether it's advertising or social media or email, requires ongoing work. You've got to maintain it, and it's this garden that you have to keep weeding and uh, watering. Uh, metadata is not like that. Metadata, you do it once, and if it's set correctly, you may not have to come back. Although, am, am I wrong about this? No, you're wrong about this, yeah. Weeds <laughs> happen everywhere. So, so what are the weeds to keep, out, keep an eye out for with metadata? I usually describe it more as evergreen um, or a perennial. It's, it is a, a process of periodically going back and checking. So if you think about the long-term uh, effect of a book, you know this, a book that you publish today, a month from now is going to probably have more reviews than it had today, right? A, a book that you publish today a year from now may have other published reviews. Maybe you got it into Forward or you got it into Publishers Weekly or you, you have some other kind of published review. Having those reviews added to your data on, a, on whatever basis you can, however quickly you can, can help the sale of the book. But it also 
everything changes, right? A book, a topic that you write about today may become much more important a year from now, right? Somebody who wrote about, say, uh, you know, some sort of uh, very important theological topic or somebody who wrote on some very important political topic, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, that book could actually become more important because it's being called back into question. So I, I recommend going back on a regular basis and looking at the data that you have for your books. Also, we talked earlier about Bowker sending out data for your books and then Amazon having data for your books. Sometimes Bowker gets it wrong. Sometimes other places send data to retailers about your book that is incorrect or out of date. And so it's really important that overwriting problem happens all the time. So it's important for you as a, as a publisher, you as an author, to pay attention to what's, what your books look like on those retail sites. Because if the data gets overwritten by someone else, you want to make sure it's correct and go back and change it. I will say uh, we recently redid the Enclave files. We talked about Enclave Publishing. And Enclave Publishing used to be a different publishing company. And Steve Lobby bought it. And like his first project with Enclave after changing the name and getting a new logo was cleaning up the metadata because <laughs> it was all over the place. And so he went back and made sure every book had all the fields filled in and they're filled out correctly and they're connecting to the right place. And he also, you know, you know, he had to go in to do it to update the publisher because right? the publisher name had changed. But in going in to update the publisher, I was like, oh my gosh, what has happened? <laughs> this is the way that infested the land or maybe it wasn't done in the first place. It's hard, hard to know. Uh, and that had a, a meaningful boost in the sales and discoverability of the book. And I know that this is not as exciting as social media, but it really does matter. And it really is not that much work if you only have one or two or 10 books, uh, even with a few dozen books, it's not a lot of work. So uh, Joshua, what's a myth about metadata that you want to debunk? Like if you could get out and shout from the rooftops, stop believing this wrong thing. Is there something about metadata people keep getting wrong? Yeah, I think the the biggest myth really is that it's not something you need to deal with on a regular basis, um, that it's not something you need to think about. So I'm believing the myth right there. <laughs> yeah, you're believing the myth. I, I think that's probably the biggest myth. As far as other, you know, there are some other myths about metadata that, you know, things about specific metadata fields like keywords. There's all these ideas about how keywords might work or don't work or how, you know, book, we talked about the book description earlier and whether it's actually used or used in the right way on Amazon. I think those are things that really, you know, there's a lot of twittering about it out in the, both on Twitter and also in author forums and stuff about what works and what doesn't and how you should do things. My recommendation when it comes to any of those things is take the professional approach. Whenever you're looking at somebody saying on some author forum that you should do this thing, is that being done by traditional publishers? Is that approach to metadata a standard approach to metadata? Because if you're too far outside the realm of normal, then it's going to be harder for retailers to engage that, or it's going to be something that may not actually work or something that may break their system or something that may actually go against their policies. So you know, better to stick with the main road, work with metadata the way it's intended to work and, and not try to you know do crazy things. One example of this is putting marketing data in your book title. So I don't recommend saying anything like in the book title or subtitle saying bestseller or the, you know, the most amazing thriller of all time or any of these other things. Those kinds of marketing language pieces that you would want to put in there, putting them in the in the book title, while that is indexed by the search algorithm, it actually is a, a bad practice in publishing. 
It's very common in non-publishing industries to do that kind of thing. But in publishing, the title and the subtitle field are for the title. So you should use them only for the title and subtitle of the book and use keywords and use your book description for those other marketing type uh, language pieces that you might put in. So those are the kinds of things you see people doing all the time. And it's like, don't do that. Even big publishers sometimes will do this. And I'm like, ah, it's not the way it's supposed to be because it breaks the system. It's not the way the publishing ecosystem and the mar the metadata system is supposed to work. There's a place for marketing superlatives, right? You can put a sticker on your book that says best from the best-selling author so-and-so. You can even put it in your description. Right? I, would, I would say the one place of metadata you can put those marketing superlatives is in the description, and you can put it in all of your marketing, right? You send out an email about your book. You can be like, you know, critically acclaimed and all of these, you know, marketers love their superlatives, right? We love to, <laughs> we love to hype it. Uh, but the uh, superlatives in a title or subtitle don't help someone find the book, right? No one's typing bestest, you know, it's the bestest book for kids. Uh, not that that's a superlative that anyone uses, right? But but nobody's doing a search typically for bestselling. If they're wanting to find a bestselling book, they're going to go to the bestseller list on Amazon or somewhere else to find the bestseller list, because, the bestselling book, because they don't believe you. <laughs> and and bestselling alone is not interesting, right? If I am a fantasy reader, I don't want to read a bestselling romance book even if it's, you know, this sensational hit, because I don't read romance and and vice versa. So I think that's really good. And I think that that's a mistake um, that while traditional publishers make it, indies are definitely making it as well. And that's a great uh, thing to avoid. So make sure you do you put your hype where the hype goes and you put your description where the description goes. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the future. Where do you see metadata going in 2020? Is it still going to be relevant? Uh, or sorry, 2040. It's already 2020. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 2040. Uh, is it still going to be relevant in 20 years or is it going to be replaced with uh, machine learning just doing the analysis on the book itself? Oh, no, I, I think that we're still going to have the requirement of, of creating metadata and you want to create your own metadata. I don't, uh, you know, we'll get better machine learning and AI as we go along, but I, I don't think that's going to replace the human brain and what we can do and what we can come up with creatively to describe content. So, yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of better tools. You know, hopefully 20 years from now, we'll have many, much better tools than we have today for managing this and, and hopefully even better you know, consistency across the industry. I will say publishing as an industry has a much better handle on metadata than almost any other industry out there because we have consistency in how, at least in traditional publishing, how data is delivered around the ecosystem. So if I'm a, a traditional publisher, I use Onyx. Onyx is an XML standard for metadata. And it, we're the only industry that has its own specific format that's accepted across the board by the vast majority of retailers in our industry. If you look at other industries, there's no standard for that. And they, they're struggling with the quality and, the, and the, the metadata fields and not having the breadth of data that we can send. So yeah, I think I think long term we will have uh, much better tools and we'll have better you know, data analysis and you'll probably have tools to tell you whether you're actually writing something that's crap or you know not. So there's going to be quality uh, uh, value that comes out of that. But I do think that the uh, the need for author created or publisher created metadata is going to continue. I never thought I'd say this, but God bless the librarians <laughs> because yes. that's why publishing has such an advantage over the other in industries is that we've been having you know databases managed with paper and people who do the databasing 
for 100 years before the other industries. You know, before there was computers, there was librarians creating, you know, the Dewey Decimal System and sorting the books in just a, such a way and writing the metadata on pieces of paper. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that, that was really innovative at the time, right? You don't go to a grocery store and they have an index of, you know, index cards and you pick out what food you want, right? They, um, most, you know, other retailers, like you said, are, are newer to the game. So uh, we're almost out of time, but a uh, r- couple of quick questions. Uh, where can authors go if they want to learn more about metadata? So I think uh, some really good resources. One is I did a training seminar for the in- Independent Book Publishers Association, uh, IBPA. I always recommend that authors and, and self-published authors and small publishers join IBPA and, and get involved in that community. Do you have to be a member to watch that training seminar? I don't recall. Uh, I can't, it's been a while since I did it. I did it last year, um, but it was a it was a really good kind of talking about the same kind of issues, but on a little more practical level. The big picture, I think, is you know go to places and learn about metadata from the source. So the book industry study group has information about this. There's uh, there are other resources. Uh, online about, you know, for standard traditional publishing, talking about the quality of metadata, what to send in different fields, how to manage different fields. I'd recommend going that route. It's uh, it's not that hard to do good quality metadata. It's usually harder just to set up a system internally to track it. Very good. We will have a link either to the IBPA or specifically to that training seminar, depending on where it is on the paywall. Uh, yeah. But I have been a member of the IBPA uh, in the past, and they ha- they do have a lot of great uh, resources. So uh, before we go, any final tips or encouragement? Uh, continue. Keep going. Uh, there's the what's the uh, Winston Churchill qu- uh, quote? Never stop. Uh, it's, it's a constant process. Uh, keep learning. Learn more about how metadata works. Continue testing your data because you may change keywords that have an impact on the visibility of your book. And so take the time to go through that process and learn more about the data about your books and put more out there. All right. Well, Joshua Talent, thank you so much for joining us today on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by my course, The Tax and Business Guide for Authors. Just like metadata, taxes and business is not super exciting for a lot of authors, but it is still a critically important topic to learn about. And just like with metadata, if you do it wrong, you can get into trouble. So this is a course that I did with my dad, who's a CPA, who's been working with authors for over 35 years. We talk about tax deductions, whether or not you qualify, when to create an LLC, and all of the other business-related and tax-related questions uh, you could have. You can find out more about that course at Author Tax Tips, and patrons of the Novel Marketing Podcast save 50% on the cost of the course. Speaking of patrons... Our featured patron today is Benjamin Ellefson, author of The Land Without Color. What if you were transported to a land without color and the only one who could restore it was you? Thank you, Benjamin, for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. If you would like to become a patron and get a bonus episode as well as many other cool perks, you can find out how to do that at novelmarketing.com. And if you can't afford to become a patron, don't worry, you can still help the show. Just share this episode with one author you think would find it helpful. We also have a special free bonus for all listeners of this episode. It's a special metadata checklist that Joshua put together, and it will help you prepare your metadata of your book for publication and also to double-check to make sure everything is in order after your book comes out. This checklist is invaluable if you're an indie author, but it's also useful if you're traditionally published and you want to make sure your publisher is doing everything they are supposed to do. 
You can download this checklist at novelmarketing.com forward slash 238, which is where you will also find the show notes and the blog post version of this episode. You've been listening to the Novel Marketing Podcast. To get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit novelmarketing.com. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr. May you live long and prosper. Thank you for listening.